All right, hi everyone. Welcome hi. back to our So Far So Good Live with Property Limb Brothers. And uh, my name is Melvin. Hi, Adrian. How are you doing? I'm great. So, how many more weeks are left for the circuit breaker to end? <laughs> I think uh, another four weeks to go. Four weeks to go. Hopefully, yeah, can't by first June. Yeah, we'll be back to normal. And uh, yeah, thank you everyone for tuning in with us uh, on a Saturday afternoon at 12 p.m. Uh, with Property and Brothers. Uh, as usual, we will be holding our Saturday 12 p.m. session all the way until the circuit breaker is over. And then uh, most likely we'll resume to uh, our podcast show on every Wednesday. And thank you for tuning in with us. Now, today we have a very special guest and um, she's um, a lawyer with uh, Simontic and Partners SMTP. Uh, Simontic specializes uh, in uh, family legacy planning, uh, estate, probate, will, trust, uh, as well as uh, property law and conveyancing. So today we'll be having Jacinta with us uh, shortly. And um, later at the last part of this segment, we're going to have a bit of Q&A. So if you're joining us at any point in time, feel free to put in your comments, questions uh, down below. And the main um, thing that we'll be chatting about today together with uh, my my uh, almost real brother Adrian <laughs> <We've got laughs> is that uh, we'll be asking the questions uh, about uh, legacy planning, um, about uh, trust, about will, about probate. Uh, is that right, Adrian? Yes, exactly. We'll be uh, asking her some of these uh, very interesting questions about um, legacy planning and probate. Yep. All right. And uh, uh, we think that uh, this is a very important part um, relating to uh, owning properties in Singapore because uh, planning is definitely important, uh, especially for your next generation, uh, is to to have um, a more concise plan, you know. And uh, I think a lot of people forget about this segment whenever they buy a property. And um, yeah, it would be great having Jacinta on the show. So why don't we, we have her in right now? Hello. Hey, hi, Jacinta. Hi, Jacinta. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to our So Far So Good live show. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. All right. Yeah, so uh, just now we have briefly introduced you to our audience. Right. Uh, maybe for, for the sake of our audience, uh, why don't you, you share with us a little bit, like, you know, uh, what do you do? How long have you been in, in, in law law practice? Um, okay, so I, I have been practicing for 20 years now. Uh, right. it's, oh, that's long time. Yeah, I know. People don't really believe it sometimes, just from the way I look. But yeah, that's that's true. Uh, I have been with Simontic and Partners for about 13 years now. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and uh, for these 13 years, um, what, what do you uh, mainly specialize uh, at uh, Simontic? I understand you are a senior partner and um, you guys also hold a lot of webinars uh, during this, this this period to educate your your consumers so yeah usually what do you what do you what do you specialize uh, in on and on um, the day okay, to day? So I, yeah so i do a lot of real estate work so convincing is a big part of my portfolio and um, legacy planning is a natural uh, spillover from convincing so that is another very big portfolio because you know when clients buy properties they invest they, they need to plan. And so we tell them that's a very important thing to do. So I help clients in their wills, their trusts. And then, of course, um, another natural thing that happens is people pass on, right? So we also do probate. So wills, trust, probate, and real estate work. Yeah, that's that's mm -hmm. what uh, under my profile. Right. Great. Yeah, so before, before we go into all the 
um, nitty gritty questions about real trust, probate, uh, and the big topic about legacy planning. So just answer, like um, you know, for for your day to day job scope, what what do you usually do? Um, I mean, especially during this this circuit breaker season, how how is life being 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 a lawyer? Uh, so circuit breaker is really different. It's something that we have never experienced. At least I've never experienced, right? So day to day, it's um when you go to the office, it's packed meetings back to back. I basically see clients one after the other, uh, do drafting emails and stuff like that. But now with this um, whole different arrangement, we don't get to see that many clients. But because uh, we have um, exemption to operate uh, when it comes to uh, time-sensitive matters like our completions, exercise of options, we still need to do that and we still see clients for these uh, matters. So from time to time, I'll be in the office uh, attending to clients, signing off letters. But um, when we are working from home, we do a lot more um, Zoom calls with clients, right? So we mm. keep in contact with them via Zoom calls. I'm sure you're familiar. Yeah. That is a very... Uh, the rise of Zoom. Correct. Uh, especially over the six weeks. Yeah. And um, we've also been doing a lot of webinars. So in the past, we used to have uh, talks and sessions face-to-face with our working partners and clients. But now we conduct webinars to just ensure that this contact is still there. So that, you know, when... When things go back to normal, you know, we, we're not lost. <laughs> right. And um, you mentioned that you, you specialize a lot in doing conveyancing and family legacies is actually like a, a part uh, that naturally evolves. Like, so, so when did uh, when did you start to dabble into family legacy? Has it has it been the start of your portfolio since 13 years back? Or, or what, what have you noticed, you know, like over your 13 years, that, does it, um, come out as a popular thing in recent years only or like in the past mm. is it I guess um, in the recent years I think there's a lot more awareness and people are, are looking into it I mean you can see that in the news right people are talking about dying and what to do and planning so it's become a, a topic that is a little bit more um, spoken about uh, in the past maybe not so people don't really like to talk about it maybe because it's a different generation as well but I always tell my clients that um, your property will up, will outlive you, right? Mm. Even if it's a whole property. So we have to plan. And dying is not a question of if, it's a question of when. So it's reality. So I kind of take it from a very practical um, approach. So we talk about it as uh, as an important planning process. Dying is an, something that you have to uh, acknowledge and you have to plan for. Yeah, so, yes, uh, you also never know, you know, when uh, death comes about. Yeah, exactly. No one can predict. Right. So, um, maybe uh, for the for the context of, of today's session where we talk about um, uh, family legacy planning, um, how how do you define how do you define legacy planning? What is what is this 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 big thing that people have been talking about? Okay, so legacy planning is all about planning for. Um, transferring your your assets, your legacy to your loved ones upon your demise, right? So legacy is basically what you own, whether it's your assets, your property, your bank accounts, even things like your values and your belief system, all these are your legacy, right? Which you, you will not be able to take away with you. So because you cannot take it away with you, you should plan for the transfer of those to your family. So that basically is legacy planning. 
apply to the high net worth. Yeah, so I do get a lot of um, response from clients like that as well. They say, oh, I don't have much, you know, I have nothing, so I don't need to plan, only the rich need to plan. But I, I disagree because like I said, legacy is what you leave behind, right? For some people, it could be substantial. For some people, it could be modest. But nonetheless, you will leave something behind. Even if you have one property, that's your legacy, right? So if you don't plan for it, then you will not be able to ensure a smooth transition. So legacy planning is not just for the high net worth. It's for people who care for their loved ones. I think that's important. That's where you should really look into legacy planning. Right. Yeah. yeah. So... um. You know, uh, estate planning is, is, is a part of the legacy planning um, mm -hmm. portion. So um, do you think that everybody will need an estate plan? I guess estate planning, legacy planning, they're used quite synonymously with each mm. other. Um, legacy could probably be wider than estate planning in the sense that it could encompass things like what I mentioned earlier, your value system, your belief system. Mm. But for simplicity, people use it quite interchangeably. Estate mm. and legacy is about the same thing. It's, it's really, I mean, in our context now, it's probably your assets, what you leave behind. Mm. Yeah, and, and do you think that uh, it is wise for everybody to have such a plan? And maybe for for um, people who have not explored this this uh, this kind of planning before, is it expensive to do an estate plan? Um, okay, so when you talk about planning, you're talking about drafting your will, okay, at mm. the very basic, you should have a document called your will, which um, helps you to set out your wishes on how your assets are to be distributed when you pass on. For some people, it could include a trust. So you could either have a trust embedded within your will, we call it a testamentary trust, or you can have a trust now in your lifetime. So depending on the profile of the clients, their specific needs. So these are the usual tools uh, for legacy. Now, apart from your will, the other very important component for planning is uh, the lasting power of attorney. So that is actually to talk about, uh, you know, when people lose mental capacity, who's going to take over their affairs and manage things on their behalf. So that one strictly is not about wealth transfer, but it's a very big component of planning because aging is uh, something that we cannot uh, run away from, right? Mm. And with aging and even not, not aging issues, but people can lose their mental capacity even when they're young, you know, due to unforeseen um, accidents or coma or stroke. So when these things happen, you you need to plan in advance, right? So that's where you have your LPA, your lasting opportunity. So when clients come to us and they ask, how do we plan? We explore these two very important documents, your will and your LPA. Mm. Right. Yeah. What, what happened if... Um Let's say I die without a will. How would my assets be distributed within my families? Okay. So if a person dies without a will, they, are, they die intestate. Okay. So the law will determine how their assets are to be distributed. So the law that we're looking at is called the Intestate Succession Act. So basically, if you have a will, your will will talk about how you want your assets to be distributed. But if you don't have the will, the law will help you determine how your assets are to be distributed. There are fixed rules on distribution. I see. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And it may not be the best uh, best outcome for me, you know, like what I want for my family then. 
Yeah, I mean, it may not be the best outcome or it may be uh, suitable. It really depends on the specific situation. So generally speaking, the Intestate Succession Act um, makes a distinction between people who are married and people who are single, right? So if you are married, then a different distribution method. If you are single, dif different distribution as well. So I'll give you an example. If a person is um, married but no children, okay, upon demise, half goes to the spouse, the other half goes to the deceased parents. Right? So imagine young couple, professional, they have no kids. They also think that they don't need to do a will because they're young. But if something mm. would happen to one of them, immediately they own, the spouse gets half, the parents of the deceased gets half. So in that situation, it may not be ideal. Right? It may not be something that they anticipated. So planning is important. Yes, mm. indeed. Right. And um, if, let's say, somebody sets a will uh, for, for their, their assets, um, is, is the will contestable? Um, definitely, the will can be contested. Mm. Uh, several reasons, uh, grounds for contesting a will. Sometimes it's due to undue influence. So it could be a case where someone is challenging your will because they said that you got it drafted under duress, somebody influenced you unduly. Um, it could be on the basis that the person who drafted the will lacked mental capacity. So maybe they were very old or they were under certain medication and they didn't have the necessary capacity. So on that grounds, it can be challenged. It can also be challenged on the basis that it was um, not drafted clearly. So on the basis of ambiguity. So these are the usual grounds a will could possibly be contested. I see. Right. Um, what are probably some of the cases that you've seen before and usually how do, how do people resolve that? Okay, so um, I don't do litigation, right? But mm. I, I can preempt clients. So example, if I see very elderly clients and they come and they tell me that they want to get their will drafted, um, of course, we have to clear you. The, we have to check, you know, to see whether this client has mental capacity to give instructions, testamentary capacity. So the mm. minute they are very elderly, we're a bit cautious, right? Because we're not doctors. So we'll ask them questions, you know, to assess their alertness and their ability to give us the instructions. Now, if there is any ambiguity, uh, maybe they're not very clear or they're a bit confused, or if they, they tell us that they want to exclude certain family members, um, then what we would normally do is we will say, that we would prefer these clients get a medical report, right? See a doctor, ascertain that they have um, full testamentary capacity. And if the doctor is able to verify that, then we will be able to continue and take on instructions because I guess we are concerned that if something happens, that will gets challenged, it, it's not going to be a pleasant uh, outcome, see? So from a practical point of view, uh, we tend to do that. So this is just an example of when you would probably want to take extra precautions. Yeah. Right, and, and usually when, when the, the will is done, um, who, who keeps the will? Okay, so when the will is done, it will be given to the client. They will take it. They will, hope, they will have custody of their own will. Uh, and upon death, the original will needs to be presented to the court to enable the family to apply for probate. So the will will be given back to the client. Okay, so the executor is basically the person who steps into the shoes of the deceased to take over and to apply for the court order, which is the grant of probate, 
to call in the assets, to distribute according to the wishes of the testator. Right? So uh, in terms of how do you choose your executor, you would usually want to choose somebody that is trustworthy, uh, somebody that you are very close to, um, depending on the terms of your will. It, uh, sometimes it is also important to appoint somebody who is financially independent, um, same set of maybe um, values and practice. But generally speaking, based on experience, most of the time clients would choose um, executors based on the fact that they are close family members or very good friends of theirs. Mm, so so uh, this person um, basically takes care of the execution after you are gone. Correct. So it can be a family member, right? Yes, it can be a family member. Okay, but will there be like conflict of interest if if um part of the assets are being distributed to this particular family member who also happens to be the, the, the executor as well? Yeah. So um we often get that question as well. The I the idea that a lot of people have is if you're a beneficiary, you cannot be an executor. Well, there is no issue for the beneficiary to be the executor as well. But in certain mm. circumstances, there could be a conflict situation. For example, if the will of the testator says that um, I want to give my beneficiary um, all these assets, okay, but I want it to be held in trust for this beneficiary until he is, say, 30 years old. And then mm. if you put that beneficiary as the executor, then obviously there's a conflict, right? So you under those circumstances, you may not want to do so. But if it's an outright gift, say I... I Upon my death, I give everything to my wife. My wife can be the sole executor, she can be the sole beneficiary, then there's no issue with that. I see. So in, in, in cases where there's a trust involved, it might get a little bit more complicated. Yeah, exactly. So it really depends, and that's where the lawyers will be able to advise on how you stru structure who would be the ideal candidate and things like that. I see. Okay, I, I think this 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 uh, becoming like a... Uh, education session on legal <laughs> terms and, and stuff. Okay, so uh, maybe just for, for for the benefit of our audience, um, can you explain to us like you know what what this definition of a probate? Because just now you mentioned about probate, uh, you also mentioned about lasting power of attorney. So you know, some of us um might not be very um well versed with, with all these definitions. So what is a what is probate in in the okay. simple so, Let me try and explain. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> when a person passes away. Uh, mm. things don't automatically get transferred to the beneficiaries, okay? It, there has to be a process. So the process is to get this court order called grant of probate. So okay. when grant of probate is obtained, the person who is named in the will of the deceased, who is the executor, uh, he's the one who applies for the grant. He then has the power to take over and manage everything. So with the will, the will actually facilitates the obtaining of the grant of probate. So that's so when people pass on, very naturally you will talk about probate. I see. Yeah. So the, the, the executor actually um takes the will and then apply to court for the ground of probate so that he has vested power to execute uh, what's written on the will. Yeah. Okay. So example, Great. they need to sell a property, right? You cannot hmm. just take the will and go and see your agent and say, Can you please sell the property? I have the will, right? It's not good enough. You need to go through the whole probate process, obtain the court order. With the court order, you can then instruct the relevant people to do what is required for the estate. Yeah. So usually, how long does this process take? Like applying to court for court order. Mm, 
If it's a straightforward, not too complicated estate, maybe about three months or so, you can get the probate obtained. But if it is a very complex uh, situation, it could drag on. I see. Uh, yeah. Uh, is there a difference uh, between administrator and uh, probate? Yeah. So, so like I mentioned, right, when person passes on, you need to get a court order. Now, if you have a will, the court order that you'll be obtaining is called the grant of probate. Now, when a okay. person dies without a will, you also need a court order. Okay, and that court order right. is called grant of letters of administration. Oh, so okay. Grant of letters of administration. So, if a person dies without a will, then the family will have to apply for the letters of administration to enable them to administer the state of the disease. Right. Uh, and that's based on the, the interstacy law that you just mentioned. Correct. Okay. Right. And um, coming to just on the other question, uh, what is the lasting okay. power? Yeah. And what's the difference between that and the power of attorney? Okay. So the lasting power of attorney is actually a document that allows you to appoint somebody to act on your behalf if you lose mental capacity. Okay, so loss of mental capacity could be due to things like um, OH illnesses, Alzheimer's, dementia, which we're all concerned about because we're an aging population, right? But it could also be due to things like um, accident leading to a coma or somebody uh, has a stroke and that affects his mental capacity. So once the person loses mental capacity, he cannot make decisions on his own, right? But life goes on. So who can then step into his shoes to help him take over his um, properties, his you know his uh, bank accounts, even things like making his decision on where he lives, what kind of medical treatment. Now, if mm. if he did an LPA, a lasting power of attorney, the person appointed is called his doni. So the doni can then step into his shoes to take over and manage all these things. So that's what an LPA is. It's another planning tool. I see. Yeah. I see. So wait, wait. the other question was difference between LPA and yes. POA, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So power of attorney is the POA for short. POA allows you to appoint somebody to help you manage certain affairs. Usually if you are traveling or you're not around, um, but you need things to be handled in Singapore, maybe your property matters, you will do a power of attorney for your attorney or your donor to act on your behalf. But the difference between POA and LPA is this. If a person loses mental capacity, you cannot use the POA anymore. There's no more power. So that's where yeah. the LPA comes in. Okay. Right. So so um now that we have like you know um gone through some of the, the, the terms and the guarantees that you mentioned, maybe to simplify, um let's pick up with just bought a property, right? They okay. just bought a property. And um, they, they come to you guys for convincing and stuff like that. And then they ask you, hey, um, I want to set up this this whole estate planning. Right? So uh, what are some of the definitely must-have, you know, after they, they have bought the property, what are some of the definite must-have that they need to set up in terms of the tools that you mentioned? Uh, that means number one is this, number two is this, number three is this. And uh, what are these few items and how much? Usually, do they cost to for a person who just bought a property to set it up? Um, definitely, when you buy a property, I always uh, tell clients this is probably one of your biggest asset, right? And you mm. need to plan because you can't take your property with you, even if yeah. it's a whole property, you it will outlive you, like I said earlier. So you need to plan, 
and you definitely would want to ensure that it passes on to your uh, loved ones in a very smooth manner. So that document that you need to draw up is called your will, right? So the will allows you to plan on how your property, not just your property, but all your other assets will be distributed to your beneficiaries upon demise. So we know death is a certainty. So for sure, you need to do the will. Okay, so the uh, one is the will. All right. So that's the will. Then the second document is the LPA. Because um, loss of mental capacity is something that we cannot anticipate, right? Whether it will happen or not. But if it does happen, and if you have, say, property under your name, you will no longer have the capacity to manage those properties. So for example, um, if we take the scenario of somebody elderly, right? They own real estate. If they have Alzheimer's or dementia, they can no longer make decisions. Now, property decisions still have to go on. Maybe the property is being rented out. Who's going to sign the tenancy agreement? Maybe the elderly person needs um, medical care. And the only way to uh, obtain funds is by selling his assets, his property. Who can sell the property? Who can sign the option or the certain purchase agreement? Somebody mm. has to step into his shoes. So that is where the LPA is extremely important. So if you have an LPA, you had already pre-decided, okay, I'm going to appoint my son to take over. So he can then, with that document, step into your shoes and take over all your affairs. So that's where the LPA comes in. Although it's something that we don't know for sure whether it will happen to us or not, but because there is always this risk, um, an LPA is just as important. I normally tell my clients, will and LPA. Okay, so this, this two, um, in your opinion, are the must-haves, the, the will and the LPA. So coming to the LPA, can there be two LPAs? Uh, no, you can only have one LPA. But the LPA will handle your personal welfare and your property and affairs. So it covers two broad areas, right? Personal welfare means your day-to-day -day decisions, like your medical, your healthcare, where you stay, your standard of living. Your property and affairs will deal with your uh, real estate, your bank accounts, your investments. So that's basically what your donor can manage on your behalf. Right. Okay, great. So you have, you have um, just tuning in with us at So Far So Good Property Investors Live. Uh, we have uh, Ms. Jacinta from SMTP Smoking and Partners. Today we are talking about uh, family legacy planning or in another term, estate planning. And it's especially important, especially for uh, people who are planning to buy a property or you have already owned properties for many years but have not really had the time to, to sit down and, and do some planning regarding your estate. Um, I think it's a, it's a very interesting topic and uh, Ms. Jacinta has been an expert in convincing and family legacy for the past 13 years. So later, if you have any questions for Ms. Jacinta, please feel free uh, if you're watching over Facebook or, or YouTube or even if you're on Instagram, you can head over to Facebook and YouTube to key in your comments down below. So. Uh, uh, Adrian, what other questions do you have for, for Ms. Jacinta? Yes, I think uh, we have uh, some very interesting questions. And uh, since we are on this uh, will topic, uh, maybe uh, Ms. Jacinta, um, any advice on where should I keep my will or my LPA? Okay, so um, the will will be given to you uh, and you will have to safe keep it. Right? So a lot of times people, the first thing, the first place that comes to mind is their bank safe. So... Ironically, it's not the best place to keep your will because if you are the only person who has access to the bank safe, then upon your demise, it's basically stuck. And you need the will in order to obtain probate 
but the bank will not allow you to access the, the safe without the probate. So do not keep it in the bank safe if you are the only person who has access to it. Um, the will should be kept in a place that is safe, where people cannot tamper with. So I normally would tell clients, maybe it's a good idea to get a fireproof home safe, keep it at home, put all your important documents in there, right? So your will and all your title deeds and things like that are important. Keep it in the home safe. I see. I see. Would we be able to keep it with our law firms? Uh, yeah, that's the other alternative. You can also get your law firm to uh, safe keep your document for you. Um, now, because the will is such an important document, you do not want people tampering with it and all that. So you should be in the in safe hands. So if you foresee that you know your home is not a suitable place to keep it, you might want to safe keep it with your lawyer. That's also an option. So um, we have another uh, very important question. Um, so for example, let's say uh, somebody has passed on and they're holding on to, uh, let's say, a landed property. And um, they are planning to distribute this to three of their kids. And uh, two of the kids own HDB properties. And uh, the other one own a, a condominium. All right. So uh, the common question is that um, this, this landed property that's being passed on to the three kids, um, do they definitely have to sell or can they hold it and um will they incur absd as well okay yeah so that quite a few things in your question but i'll, yeah. I'll break it down. um firstly the property if it's bequeathed to the three children assuming mm. it shares uh mm. they can get themselves registered as the owners of the property but if one of them has hdb or two of them have hdb then at that point if um according to the prevailing rules under HDB, they cannot own landed property, then they cannot. So the decision probably would be they have to sell the property or redistribute the shares. Uh, if, if they have existing properties and they inherit this landed property, mm. even if they inherit one third share in that landed property, it adds on to their property count. Okay? Mm. So if they already existingly have an HDB and then their parents pass on, they inherit one third share in that landed property, they're treated to have two property counts. Okay? Then the question of ABSD and stamp duty. Now, if they inherit the property yes. pursuant to the will, or even if they inherit it pursuant to uh, the law, which is the Interstate Succession Act, then there will be no stamp duty payable or no ABSD payable as well. But um, like I said earlier, it adds on to their property count. So although they have uh, inherited only one third share, is treated as an additional property. So if existing property is HDB, inherit one third share, so they would then have two properties. When they buy the next property, when you compute ABSD, it would be as though they're buying their third property. Third okay, properties. So that point would be relevant. Then I think the last question is when they sell, right? SSD. So yep. SSD is seller stamp duty. So mm. this is also a, a very common question that clients will ask us. Like, I inherited a property from my dad. Um, if I sell it now, do I have to pay seller's stamp duty? Now, seller's stamp duty is um, applicable if you acquire the property within the SSD period. So, for example, if you bought a property last year, then if you sell it within three years, you have to pay seller's stamp duty to the government. Now, when it comes to inherited properties, um, the date of acquisition is actually the date of acquisition of the deceased owner. 
right? So if let's say your dad acquired the property very recently uh, within the seller's stamp duty period and he passed on, you take over the property and then you sell it. And you sell it within that SSD period, counting from the date your dad originally bought the property, you have mm. to pay SSD. But mm. if it is something that he, he bought maybe very 10 years ago, you inherit it today, then you don't have to pay SSD when you sell it. Right, so it's based on the date that your your the, the deceased uh bought it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so coming coming to um uh, uh deeper part of that question, um just now um, you mentioned that you know if let's say you're a HDB property and um uh, this is assuming that if you have owned it for five years already, you have fulfilled your minimum occupation period, then let's say you have owned a property for eight years and um to, to make things simpler, let's say you inherited um, a private property from your parents solely, right? And and it, it just passed on to one kid only. And this this child has has uh, owned a HDB for eight years. Now they are inheriting a condominium, so they can technically hold it because they have fulfilled their minimum occupation period. Am I right? Uh, we got to check with HDB on the rules. So if let's say it's one of those where you inherited, you bought it in in the past, and it doesn't come under the I mean, it's out of the MOP and HDB allows you to retain your second property or your private property, then yes, they can hold it. But if under the, because HDB's rules keep changing, right? So you always need to go back and check what are the prevailing rules on entitlement. So if at that point in time, HDB says, no, you can't, they will normally give you about six months to get rid of your property, to dispose right. of the, so, the inheritance. So the reverse question always comes, uh, for example, if uh, 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 a child owns a private property and then their deceased parents pass on the HDB property to them after their demise. So what happens? I mean, do they get to choose? Should I keep the HDB or the private or, or they, they definitely have to sell a HDB? Okay, so usually HDB, when that happens and it, they want to transfer to the beneficiary and the beneficiary at that point in time does not meet the eligibility requirements of HDB because they own a private property, they cannot hold the HDB, then HDB will tell them you need to dispose of it within six months. So that's where they will decide, do I want to dispose of the HDB or do I want to dispose of my private property? And, and they will do their planning at that point. If for whatever reason they cannot comply with the time given by HDB, then it would be important to go back to HDB to ask for an extension to appeal for an extension so that they can organize their matters. Hmm. All right. Okay. Adrian, you seem very deep in thoughts. Welcome to you. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, um, thinking, um, let's say if I have uh, a jointly owned property, uh, not with my family, but with uh, some partners, and uh, can the will be uh, included in a joint property? Okay, so uh, in Singapore, there are two different manners of holding of properties. So you have joint tenancy and you have tenancy in common, right? So joint tenancy, I'm sure you're familiar. Uh, joint tenancy is a concept where there is right of survivorship. So yeah. for example, husband and wife own the property under joint tenancy. If husband dies, everything goes to wife automatically. So that is called right of survivorship. Now, the other manner of holding that you have, we have is called tenancy in common. So tenancy in common is where you have a distinct share in the property. So for example, tenants in common in equal shares, it means each has 50%. Okay. So in your scenario, you say you have a property with a friend, they would usually choose tenancy in common. So if it's a distinct share, then you can include it in your will. 
So your will can say, I give my share in the property, it could be 50% to my family, right? But if it is a joint tenancy property, then it's not so straightforward. So <clears throat> I'll give you an example. Maybe husband and wife have a property under joint tenancy. Husband mm -hmm. says that if I die, I want in my will to say all my assets go to my, my son. Okay, all my assets includes my property. But if that property that he owns with the wife is under joint tenancy, okay. yeah, upon his demise, that property doesn't fall under the will to go to the son. It will go to the survivor, which is the wife. So under those circumstances, it doesn't fall under the will. Does that right. answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because joint tenancy supersedes that portion, right? Yeah, because the survivor takes over and it doesn't go under the estate of the deceased. But if it's tenancy in common, then it can be distributed under your will. Okay, so coming back to another question, uh, which, <laughs> which which was spin off from what uh, Adrian asked just now. So Jacinta, let's say, for example, friends, they they uh, went to a show flat and then they bought a property together. Both are single. Uh, both are buying their first property together and <clears throat> they, they are buying under tenancy in common. Uh, and let's say um, they're doing a 50-50 share, right? 50-50. And uh, both went ahead to set their will. So, um, person A set their will to, <clears throat> to, to one of their, their, their family member. Person B went ahead to set their will to one of the family member. And then uh, one day, one person passes away. So, person A passed away, and the family member takes over that 50% share. So, uh, in this situation, if one person wants to sell, you know, so, so now these two persons, they are, they are one is the, the, the surviving friend, the other one is a family member. So if one person wants to sell, um, but the other person don't agree, what is going to happen? I mean, I mean what right do, do both people have? Um, okay, so they have to come to a consensus, right? Mm. Uh, one cannot sell without the other. Even if one owns 1% share, uh, the, the other one owns 99% share, there's no right of majority, right? So mm. both have to come to an agreement on what to do. Now, Based on experience, most of the time when one passed away, the usual thing that will happen is uh, they will sell the property and they will split the proceeds for the simple reason uh, that the property is usually under mortgage. So if there is a loan over the property, then you don't really have much of a choice. You will probably need to sell the property and settle the loan first and then split the proceeds equally, right? But if, let's say, one wants to keep the property, then the option is to buy over his, the other share from the deceased owner in order to take over 100%. So that could be something that they may want to explore. But definitely, you can't override each other or one doesn't have... Uh, More say than the other. Yeah, yeah, so, so I think back to a very important point is that even if one person owns 99% and the other person owns like 1%, if the person holding 1% do not want to sell, there's, there's also nothing that the 99% person can do, right? Exactly. Right. So if it's complicated, then you probably have to go to court and try and get it resolved, but that would be a separate issue altogether. Okay. Right. Yeah. Adrian, do you have any other questions for Jacinta? Um, yes. Um, what happens if um, I have a client uh, who has uh, overseas and local assets? Right? So uh, can his overseas uh, will uh, be written in Singapore or is it better to um, have his will written in different uh, uh, different countries? Let's say, example, have one in Malaysia, Indonesia, and Singapore. So, can uh, one uh, local will um, does everything? Yeah. 
Okay, so uh, also very common question that clients will normally ask. Uh, your will, if the will drafted in Singapore covers all your assets, which includes your overseas assets, then it can be executed, no problem. Okay, but if your will uh, covers only the Singapore assets, then you would definitely need to ensure that you have separate instruments for your assets in other countries. Uh, whether one will or separate wills would be more suitable really depends on a, a couple of um, factors. So it will depend on things like um, how extensive your assets are in those jurisdictions, how long you plan to keep those assets for, is it long-term or short-term, um, whether you you have um, where your assets are being located, in which jurisdiction, because different jurisdictions, there might be different implications like tax exposure. Okay, So I'll give you an example. If client has assets in, say, UK, okay, uh, in UK, if it's above a certain threshold, they will have to pay inheritance tax. In Singapore, in Malaysia, for now, we don't have uh, inheritance tax at paid duty. But in some countries, they do. So I'm giving you the example of the UK. So they have inheritance tax if it exceeds a certain amount. Now, if the client says, I want to include my UK property in my Singapore will, they can. But uh, as a lawyer in Singapore, I will not be, we will not be in a position to advise the clients on the UK law, on the tax exposure that they may face. So under those circumstances, it may be a good idea for them to seek legal advice in the UK because the lawyer there would be able to tell them, okay, maybe you can consider a certain structure, uh, how to minimize your tax exposure, what is the most efficient way to distribute. So that could be a, a benefit and advantage in separating the wills and have UK cover UK, Singapore cover Singapore, right? But if let's say clients is, it, maybe Malaysia, I have a bank account in Malaysia, it's a small account, you know, it's just a very small part of my entire portfolio. Uh, I don't think in these circumstances I want to go to Malaysia and draft a will and see a lawyer there. Then, of course, we will include it in the Singapore will, and that's fine. I see. Oh. Wow. Um, after having uh, this session with you, I think will is important. I better go and see if I have a will. Have you your will? So you where do you keep your will? I do not know, man. I need to go and find it. You need to put the wardrobe behind you. I think so. Let me go and uh, take it yeah. out. Yeah. You, you can, you so, uh, where, where should we? Yeah, where should we do um will uh, or lasting power attorney in, in your when opinion? Should yeah, when where should we, should we do it immediately after I purchase the property? Or at what age? You know. Yeah. So so it's not the the usual resistance we get from people are things uh, uh I'm still young you know uh, I don't have much but to me. As long as you have something, as long as you have assets, you should plan. And your will is definitely not one document that will last you your entire lifetime. You will mm. be going through a few wills in your lifetime. I have changed my will, I don't know how many times, because I keep changing my executor, right? So you, you need to understand that a will will evolve with your circumstances. So it's best to start young, right? The minute you have certain assets, you should already start planning. And then maybe when your circumstances change, maybe you acquire more assets, you will have different ideas. Or if you uh, get married and then you start to have children, you may have different considerations. So that's where you need to perhaps update your will again. And then later on in life, when your kids grow up and then they get married, you know, you have grandkids, you again, you have different considerations. So the will is something that will evolve through your life. So you should start young 
and then keep updating it as you move along. There is no optimum time to do your will because we don't know when we're going to expire, right? Right. So final question for Jacinda before we hit the Q&A. Uh, if somebody approaches uh, your firm and uh, they want to, to have this entire package, you know, what you mentioned, like will, plus lasting power of attorney, how much is the rough cost involved, like, you know, to, to, to set um, for, for this, this entire thing? Like, uh, like do case-by-case -case basis or, or stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I would refrain from talking about fees online. So maybe <laughs> if you could take it offline, no problem. But it yeah. really depends a lot on the complexity of the document. You know, is it mm. a straightforward or complicated will? And every firm has a different... Um, uh, Fee rate and stuff. Rates, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sure, sure. So it's, it's more like a case-by-case -case basis depending on the complexity and things yeah, like that. Yeah. Okay, great. Alright, so I think we can, we can uh, kickstart our Q&A session. So if you are just joining us, uh, we have just um, chat with uh, Jacinta from Simontic and Partners regarding family legacy or estate uh, planning. If uh, that's what uh, you know about uh, planning your will and lasting power attorney after you purchase a property. So uh, it's a very important topic and um, it has gained a lot of popularity in recent years because people are not now um, more um, uh, open to talk about you know death and, and, and planning for the next generation, living your assets in proper. And uh, I think it's, it's a very important part of uh, investing in the property as well in Singapore. So if you have any questions, we are now open to questions and uh, you can just feel free to keep in your comments. So Justin, are you ready for questions? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> okay. So after this session, I would like to uh, fix an appointment with uh, Miss Jacinta to plan my will. Immediately, Adrian. Like after this. <laughs> Sorry. You can you can you can immediately meet Jacinta after this. <laughs> no, cannot. Okay, no, circuit breaker. No, the girls do over Zoom. Let's do over Zoom. Yeah, we can do over Zoom. <laughs> and it's fine. <laughs> okay. Oh, so, oh, that's great. Right, we have a question from Justin. Uh, Justin is asking, is it possible to have just one will that covers properties in different countries? Okay, so I think you asked me that question earlier, but for the benefit of Justin, let's go through it again. So, like I said, you can have one will that covers properties in different countries, <clears throat> as long as your will is drafted to include those assets. But it may be advantageous to consider doing a separate will in separate jurisdiction. So if, let's say, your assets are in certain jurisdictions where there are tax considerations, then it's good to seek a lawyer's advice in that jurisdiction because he may be able to advise you on how best to structure the distribution to be the most efficient. Um, the other advantage that I did not mention is um, when it comes to probate, if you have wills in separate jurisdictions, it could be faster in the sense that your probate can be obtained concurrently. So if, let's say, you have a will in Singapore, uh, you can obtain the probate in the Singapore court. Now, if you have a will in Malaysia, you can obtain probate in the Malaysia court concurrently. So you don't have to wait for one to be completed before you go to the next jurisdiction and sort out your affairs. So that could be an advantage as well of having a separate will in separate jurisdictions. But nothing wrong with having one will to cover uh, all assets. Right. Okay, great. So that answers your, your question, Justin. Alright, so the next question from uh, Alison Jane. Uh, I have a question. If there are two owners under tenancy in common, say 99% and 1%, can a 99% owner exceed 
full control of the property to the one percent owner perpetually and irrevocably such that one percent owner can decide when and how much to sell and if this agreement can survive to transfer one percent to another owner so if you are if you're wondering why melvin reading out the questions because uh this episode will be at on our podcast uh, as well on spotify and apple itunes so we're just reading out for the sake of our audience uh right there so yeah justina go, go ahead so if there are two owners under tenancy in common, um, well, in terms of this question, I would there's actually a lot of uh, uh, trust implications, which is quite a separate discussion and can get quite convoluted. But a straightforward answer would be a 1% owner, sorry, 99% owner cannot give full control to the 1% owner because you both have uh, rights to decide on how to deal with the property, like I mentioned earlier. Right? And you should not have any agreement to uh, give perpetual and irrevocable control unless it's some sort of trust arrangement that you have. But um, in terms of the document that can allow the 1% owner to manage, sometimes people do power of attorneys. So if they do a power of attorney, they, they can give each other uh, power to take over to manage the property. But of course, the power of attorney must be subsisting and, and not revoked. Right. Okay. Great, thanks Alison for, for joining us for that answers your question. Do you have any more questions? All right, so we have one from Marcus Ryan Tan. Uh, following on the previous question, if both own 50% um, of a property and both don't have the financial ability to buy out each other and uh, one party really wants to sell, insists to sell, what does the court usually decide? If both own 50% right? Yeah, so Please I go. think... Uh, yeah, so they have to, it's, it's a case by case, they have to present it to the court uh, on what basis they should sell the property. Uh, most of the time, like I mentioned, they are usually loan considerations. So they don't even have the, the priority goes to the bank, right? So once the person passes away, the it triggers this mortgage risk and priority goes to the bank. So if if it's a case where there's a bank loan, you need to, to keep the property, you probably need to refinance the facility. And it wouldn't make sense for two people who are, uh, you know, kind of unrelated to go and refinance the, the, the loan uh, together because there are other considerations like the TDSR and all that. So the usual practical thing would be to sell the property. So I guess the court will look at all these considerations as well. And most of the time, it will probably just be a sale of the property, which would be the logical thing to do. Right. Thanks, Marcus, for asking that question. Do we have any other questions for Jacinta? Uh, yes, uh, we have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so we have uh, questions from uh, Lee Chung Chun. Uh, yeah, so, joint tenancy still needs a will? Okay, so joint tenancy means um, survivor takes all, right? So if one goes, the surviving owner takes, and if there is a will, that property doesn't follow the will of the deceased. But if both are deceased, then you will still need the will. And I mean, sometimes people uh, are concerned about things like accidents happening, plane crash, that kind of situation. So even if it's a joint tenancy property, you may end up uh, being the sole owner and that's where your will will determine how it's to be distributed. So on that basis, uh, even if it's a joint tenancy property, we should still include it in a sense, but whether it will actually uh, be distributed depends on whether you end up being the sole owner of the property or there is a surviving owner. Mm, yeah. So, um, 
just in that one, uh, let's say a couple, uh, they bought a property together and it was executed as a tenancy in common first. And then maybe subsequent years down the road, they decide to say, I want to change to joint tenancy. Is that possible? And vice versa, is that possible as well? Okay, so usually it would be joint tenancy, they sever it to tenancy in common, right? So uh, if you originally own the property under joint tenancy and you want to sever it to make it tenancy in common, you can only do it 50-50. That means it can only be tenancy in common in equal shares. Okay, right. so, so if it is... Like no, you can't. So if it's a 99-1, you can't change it to a joint tenancy situation. So, I mean, this is also a very common question from clients because sometimes they may want to like sell their share to each other to decouple so originally they own as joint tenancy then they will ask us can we split 99-1 you can't it has to be severed 50-50 so it becomes tenancy in common in equal shares right okay first we have another question from Alison Jane again um so Alison is asking a follow-up from my earlier question can a POA be irrevocable and also be able to survive passing on 1% share to a new buyer? Okay, so POA cannot survive death. Like, you know, when a person dies, uh, the document that will come into effect is the will. Okay, not your LPA, not your POA. Right, so it cannot survive the passing. Uh, we generally do not draft irrevocable power of attorneys. Okay. Because a power of attorney can be revoked if the person has already lost mental capacity by virtue of the law and when the person dies, right? So mm -hmm. definitely the power of attorney is not a will. It cannot survive uh, death. Okay. See. Yeah, so, um, yeah, Adrian, go ahead. No, no. Okay, so, um, Jacinta, if let's say somebody um, uh, decides to, to, to come to your firm and, and they want to set up uh, the will and lasting power of attorney, um, usually how long does this process take? Like when, uh, what is the period that, that all this can be, be completed? Okay. Mm. Um, so we, we kind of take this whole um, legacy planning quite seriously because we recognize that everybody's circumstances are different. There is no one size fits all, right? So um, we would need to understand your family situation, your needs, your background, what assets you have so that we can properly advise you on how to structure it. Uh, usually... Mm whole consultation process will take about an hour so within an hour or so we should be able to um, discuss have a meaningful discussion with the client capture their instructions and then we can start the drafting so the drafting of course depends on the workload of the lawyer but um, most of the time within a week we should be able to get your bill drafted and if there's an urgency then we you know we can meet you shortly after to get it signed so all in all the whole process if you allow us to uh, take the lead you know, probably it can be done within uh, two weeks, getting mm. your instructions, drafting, and then arranging for the next appointment to get it signed. Right. And I understand that your, your firm has also uh, a special department that uh, helps uh, clients, um, whereby you call it your private practice, um, family, um, uh, legal services, and stuff like that, where you, where you deal with everything that um, a family would need in terms of of their niche when it comes to planning or, or even like immigration and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So we, we have um, a private client's practice because we um, help a lot of clients, uh, high net worth clients in their transactions. So they, they their matters, they will 
uh, basically instruct us to advise them on. So from the things like the acquisition of the properties to their uh, PR matters, you know, trying to get a PR or immigration into Singapore, handling their family offices, uh, setting up their family office, helping them to get employment pass and dependent pass. All these things would fall under the private client practice. Right. Okay, great. All right, since we have some uh, one more question that came in by Jonathan. So Jonathan is asking, is it possible to transfer ownership in a joint tenancy from an owner to another owner without monetary consideration for HDB flats? Okay, so for HDB, you can do a gift. Uh, if, if you comply with the terms, you can do a gift transaction. So you can transfer. Uh, this For this kind of transactions, you probably get HDB to help you. Uh, yes, you can do it without monetary consideration, and that is basically a gift transaction. Hmm. All right. Okay. okay. Thanks, Jonathan, for asking. Adrian, do you have any final questions for Jacinta? Yes, I do have. Uh, in fact, I have a lot. <laughs> okay, we can just you one, one last one. Final question before we let her one go. Final one, huh? <laughs> All right. Okay, so um, uh, what should one do if they want their estate to last for many generations? Hmm. Okay, so very common uh, approach would be to set up a trust. Okay, so you can, you can set up a trust where you basically transfer your assets into a trust managed by the trustee and the trustee will help you um, deal with it to distribute to the beneficiaries and it depends on the instructions as well as the size of the estate, I suppose, if you want it to last several generations, right? So it's possible. You can also, of course, do it through the will but uh, depends on your instructions to the, to the trustee as well. But I think ultimately, uh, this is something that you have to dis we, we talk to clients and deal with it on a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, size of the estate definitely is important if you want it to last a few generations. But it can be done. Right. I do hope I can last for many generations. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, maybe sidetrack from uh, the legacy planning part. Uh, so just want to uh, pick your thoughts, Jacinta, before we, we let you off for the session. So, uh, you know, pertaining to, to the COVID-19 situation around the world, this, this pandemic right now, I mean, uh, myself and Adrian, we joined the property industry about 14 years back. So uh, I still remember when we joined around 07, uh, that was already sort of like um, in the middle of the subprime crisis. And uh, so the, the, the biggest one that we have um, encountered was 08 Lehman Brothers crisis, right? So... Uh, right now with this pandemic going on, how, how do you think, you know, like it would change um, um, the way that people communicate or, you know, based on your convincing experience, how do you think that it would change um, the, the property market and things like that? Like what, what is your view on the ground or what is your little, little prediction of, of the market? I think um, it has forced us to use technology overnight, right? Mm. Things that we never expected to be doing we're now doing on a daily basis talking to clients on zoom calls when in the past we would say no you have to come to the office we, we cannot talk to you over the phone you know and then even giving seminars and presentations it was always face to face but suddenly now everything is done telecommuting remoting uh, on a remote basis so i think it changes the way that we work it creates a, a whole new platform so if you look at it from the positive uh side I think there are a lot more opportunities and it gives us the platform to reach out to our clients, our overseas clients and clients under all sorts of circumstances. So it's, it's an evolving process and I think we learn 
along the way. And I think that, um, like you shared earlier, right, about how viewings can be done virtually and all that. So as soon as people start getting used to this new technology, a whole new way of doing things, I think we will be fine. But it is nonetheless a, a tough uh, situation that we're facing. And let's see how it pans out. Right. Right. All right. Okay. Thank you so much for, for coming on to our session. It is great having you. And I think today we answered a lot of um, in-depth questions. I think the estate planning, um, it, it definitely helps us now others to understand more about some of the terminologies as well. So really great to have you, Jacinta. And uh, you. Uh, if you want to know more about uh, Jacinta and her firm, uh, Jacinta is a senior partner at Simontic and Partners, SMTP. Well, and your office is at um, HDB Hub Topayo, right? Am I right? Uh, we have two offices. We have one at HDB Hub Topayo that does the HDB transactions. And then we also have uh, office in Paragon where I am. And that's where we deal with more of the high net worth clients' cases as well as uh, other private property transactions at the Paragon office. Right. So if you'd like to know a bit more about uh, Simone Tech and Partners, we will be inserting their links and some of their um, uh, information right in the description down below. And uh, first, thank you for coming on stream with us at Property Brothers Live. So far, so good. Uh, we will see you on next Saturday, 12 p.m. again without fail. And uh, in the meantime, everybody stay safe. Take care and thank uh, yeah, thank you, just Justinta. Yeah, thank we'll you. Have a good weekend. Take Bye. care. You too. Bye. 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 Bye.